So can we have a candid, honest, and Christ-like conversation about race issues in America today? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, friends, today is going to be a very special, very important, and perhaps very intense broadcast, but one where we will be candid one with another. My ears are wide open. My heart is wide open. I'm eager to hear from you. I'm eager to engage with you. My heart's also overflowing with things to share with you. So phone lines are open, but I want to be very specific. Only today we'll be taking calls that relate to the subject matter. In other words, as we're talking about race, race relations in America, questions about systemic racism, things like that, that's what we'll be taking calls on. And specifically, I've given an invitation on Twitter. Some have been calling me a racist lately, a Klansman. That's what I got hit with yesterday, among other things. If that's your view, I would love for you to give me one example, one concrete, factual example of racism in my life. Just just one, just one. All right, phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-784. In a little while, I'll give you more of an idea of what we'll be taking calls on today. But this is just to say, many days after we cover key things we want to talk about, we open the phones for general Bible theology. We won't be doing that today. All right, before we get into our race discussion, please do pray for Israel. Israel took out a major terrorist last night as a result of which bombs have been dropping on Israel. Just got off the phone earlier today with friends in Israel. They are having to deliver food supplies to those in need because the normal grocery deliveries were shut off. Schools shut down. It's a time of real tension right now. The terrorist organizations must launch attacks on Israel, then claim some kind of victory in doing so. It's just part of the way this process works. Uh, obviously, there could be a lot of pain and suffering on both sides. And then you have innocent Palestinians, people who are not terrorists and are just trying to live their lives, but they will be caught in crossfire. So please pray, all right? Please pray for Israel right now, for God's grace, God's peace in the midst of what is happening, and for God's best for the Palestinians as well. One thing. Second thing, 48 years ago today— Wow. Yeah. Wow. As in wow. Um, 48 years ago today, for the first time in my life, I believed that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. I had gone back to a church after going in August earlier to pull my best friends out. I went back to another service. At the end of the service, they gave an altar call. I have no recollection of what the pastor spoke that night. They gave an altar call. My friend nudged me you know, this would be a good time to respond. And I thought, you know, all these old people here, they're praying for me to be saved. It's like they think I'm the worst of sinners. And I was, I was a bad sinner. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll get a kick out of it if I go up. This all, I just meant it as a lark. didn't mean anything by it. But as I went up and the pastor asked me to, to pray, quote the sinner's prayer, to pray, uh, pray words. I, for the first time, as I said, I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose from the dead. I thought, I do believe this. I do believe it. You know, 
my friends have been sharing the gospel with me endlessly for months, and we've been talking back and forth for months, and people have been praying for me for months, and I, I did believe it, but I wasn't willing to repent. I wasn't willing to live for God. So the words I said after that, I didn't mean. And so I stayed up there and prayed that everyone come up and pray. We did that after every service. And I said, God, you know when I go home, I'm, I'm getting high. I'm, I'm smoking PCP, also known as angel dust, and shooting cocaine. If you don't want me to do it, don't let it have any effect. And I went home, and I, I did large quantities, enough that would get probably five people high, if not more. And nothing happened. My heart started to pound for a second, and then everything stopped. And I realized, okay, something's going on here. And then five-week battle. Five weeks in church one day, shooting heroin the next. In church one day, getting high all day. Next, back and forth until December 17th of 71. And by God's grace, I said, Lord, I'll never put a needle in my arm again. That was the day of surrender. But this, 48 years ago, today, the first time I ever believed in Jesus. All right. We're going to tackle now a very sensitive and very difficult subject, but with candor. Many of you have been listening to me on radio for 11 plus years now. Some of you have followed our ministry for decades in writing and sermon and different forms. So with many, we have a relationship. We know each other. We've shared hearts together. You've heard my heart. I've heard your heart. Many others, you don't know me at all. And this is all brand new. And you don't know what to make of me. So uh, allow me just to share a little bit of my own personal background and history. In fact, what I'm about to share, I don't think I've ever shared on radio before. But my father came to, uh, was born in America, but his parents came over from Russia, right? So they were Jews who immigrated from Russia. This was a time of persecution and difficulty for Jews in Russia. They came over to America. My grandfather on my father's side was a, a painter, but because of conditions back then, unhealthy conditions, he died in his 40s, cancer related to painting. I never met him. Uh, my grandmother on my father's side knew her at the end of her life, but they came from Russia. My mother, so both parents Jewish, my mother was born in England. Her uh, mother died when she was just a little girl, just a few years old. The father abandoned the family. So she came over to America as an orphan and was raised by other family members. That's, that's my mom and dad coming here. My dad basically became responsible as a breadwinner in the family, about 10, 11 years old, had an older brother, younger brother. A lot of responsibility fell on them, but somehow my dad became the, the, the key breadwinner in the family at an early age. And then ultimately worked his way through college, worked his way through law school, became a lawyer, and then became the senior lawyer in the New York Supreme Court. And my dad was very, very liberal. His politics then, if he was alive today, he'd be a liberal Democrat. And uh, he was as open and tolerant in today's terms as you could be. So the first organ teacher my sister and I had, my sister's three and a half years older than me, the first organ teacher that we had was an openly gay man. So I was barely six, seven years old, my sister about 10, and he would come over to our house and give organ lessons, and then he and his partner would come many a time, and they would stay for dinner. So that was my first organ teacher, all right? So our, our upbringing was anything but, quote, homophobic. Our second organ teacher was a black man married to a white woman. So, so this is now, we're, we're talking early, mid-60s, all right? Even though this was in New York, even though things were, quote, more enlightened there, 
I remember my dad telling me how utterly wrong it was that they both lost friends on both sides of the family, that, that people turned against them because of an interracial marriage. And my dad just talking about how absolutely wrong that was. All right, so that's what I grew up with. I did not grow up in a home where, where there was a stitch of racism. All right, and, and my dad, again, was a liberal Democrat. That's, that's the first thing. Then when I got saved, when Jesus changed my life, that's all that mattered to me. And I wasn't saved in an environment where we even talked a lot about social issues. Abortion was nothing that we talked about. You know, gay activism was not a subject that we, we talked about. You know, just a lot of things going on around it we didn't talk about. And, and race, race issues, just there was not like a social justice consciousness. We got saved. We're preaching Jesus. The next church I was part of, though, very much had a social conscience. I remember not only did we sponsor refugees and bring them into our home from Southeast Asia, but then the next wave of refugees was from Ethiopia. Ethiopia. So first, Asian refugees came in, and basically if we had a bed, if we had a couch, we took them into our home, some for periods of years, all right? They, they, they live with us, all right? And then same thing with Ethiopian refugees, so Asian refugees and refugees from Africa. And at this point, a lot of houses were filled, so we started getting apartments, and, and, and then we're, we had classes in our church teaching English as a second language, and we were also strongly pro-life. So that was the environment that we were in, and then what we could do to help the poor in our own community, all right? And then it was absolutely an interracial church. But not only that, I remember bringing in, we had John Perkins come in, famous for, as a black leader with a strong message of social justice. And, and I remember he came in and he said, I, I can't get mad at this church. You know, because normally there'd be something he'd see just that was wrong, that was bothering him. And it would give him kind of that kind of holy chip on his shoulder. But he, he couldn't do that with us. All right. So and, and then after that, I've just been involved in international ministry, you know, folks that I work with closely in other parts of the world and and, and men of God that, that have become friends. So say Reinhard Bonnke ministering in Africa uh, these many years and, and uh, now as, as an older man here in the States, he his ministry was initially based in South Africa and they constantly fought apartheid. He thought it was an evil system. He, were, he would have ministers' conferences and have blacks and whites together and staying in the same places with the same accommodations. And ultimately, he moved his ministry out of South Africa because of a part, the apartheid system and just hurting the work he was doing because he was absolutely against it and opposed it. Or, you know, in more recent years, become friends with James Robison. James, when he would do his, his gospel rallies in the South, fought segregation and he and, and there's some famous classic stories about him fighting segregation and making sure that blacks and whites found equality in Jesus. So this has just been part of my background and, and heritage. And and sure, all of us have blind spots. Yes, yes, absolutely. Help me with my blind spots as I help you with yours. But but this has just been my upbringing and and my background. And I'm, I'm just as thrilled and excited to see the work of God in Africa with our grads there or to work with dear friends in India as, as I am to, to work with, with friends in Korea or to work with friends in England or to work with friends in America. And, and for me, when, when Barack Obama, Senator Obama, was running for president, I wanted to vote for him. I wanted to have the privilege of voting for our first Black president. I wanted to have the privilege 
of sending a message to the nation. Yes, we continue to move forward as a nation. I wanted to have the privilege of doing that, but I could not because of his policies, because of his viewpoints, because of his stances on issues that were close to me. In in the same way, if, say, Dr. Ben Carson had been running for for president, if if he actually got the Republican nomination, and it was Ben Carson against 10,000 liberal white candidates, Ben Carson would get my vote in a heartbeat. Ultimately, race, skin color is not the issue for me. The issue is where we stand on moral and cultural and spiritual issues. That is the issue. And now we're going to tackle some controversies. All right, 866-34-TRUTH to weigh in. You think I've got blind spots? You think I'm not seeing things? You think I'm white-splaining? That's what I've been getting hit with recently, white-splaining? Well, then come and set the record straight. 866-34-TRUTH. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, so let us dig deep into this subject. Let me just tell you what recently happened. Someone forwarded a tweet to me from a black bishop. I didn't know who he was. Turns out, once I, I dug into finding out more about him, that I realized that like 10 years ago, he published a book with testimonies of people coming out of homosexuality. So, and I'd actually gotten it on Kindle. I thought, oh, okay, got it, got it. That's who he is. But otherwise, I didn't even know I knew his name or anything, but he had a big Twitter following. He seemed to have a significant role in the African-American community and, and fighting for civil rights and fighting against injustice and things like this. So, someone sent me a, a tweet, and it's been liked, I don't know, tens of thousands of times on, on Twitter. And, and it said this, Bishop Talbert Swan Calling a black POTUS married 25 years to one wife with two children, no mistresses, affairs, or scandals, the Antichrist, but a white POTUS married thrice, five kids by three women, mistresses, affairs, and scandals, God's anointed, proves your religion is white supremacy, not Christianity. So I I took issue with that. I took issue. I responded to the tweet, thought it's probably not going to see that. Then I sent a separate tweet, just in case, because I was going to respond anyway, saying, hey, let me know if you want to interact. I'll go on your show, because I saw he had a show, or you can come on my show. And then I wrote an article responding. You, you can read the article. It's called The Religion of White Supremacy, question mark. It's on stream.org. And I interact with what the bishop said. I do it respectfully. I do it graciously. I said, yeah, for sure. There are some professing Christians who are white supremacists who hated Obama because he's black and love Trump because he's white and because he's patriotic. No question about it. They don't care about anything else in his life. That's all they see. I said, conversely, there are some Christians who claim to be Christians who are black supremacists and they hate Trump because he's white, loved Obama because he's black. You know, racial bigotry goes both ways. All right. We, we all have blind spots and racial bigotry goes both ways. I said, but in point of fact, I would have gladly voted for Obama. The reason I opposed him was his militant pro-abortion stand. I believed and proved to be true that he was pro-same-sex marriage. Other concerns I had, that's why I couldn't vote for him. And I voted for Trump with a lot of reservations because of his baggage, because of his past, because of lots of other things, but because of his stance on his other issues. Skin, skin color had zero, zero to do with it. 
So if you were going to – and every white evangelical that I know that I'm friends with, that I work with, their perspectives were the same, okay? So to call that white supremacy rather than Christianity, that's a bigoted statement. So anyway, I guess after a day or two, Bishop Swan saw the article, and and just last night there was kind of a Twitter frenzy. I don't mean from him. I mean it just got crazy on Twitter with a bunch of people coming at me. I got called a Klansman. I got called a racist. I got called – uh, you know, other things with profanity and things like that. And Bishop Swan and I went back and forth. I, I just want you to see how things developed, okay? I just want you to see. So he was upset with me for what I posted. And I said, sir, as a white, this is my initial uh, tweet to him, seeing if he wanted to engage me. Sir, as a white evangelical Christian, I strongly differ with some of your recent tweets accusing us of following the religion of white supremacy. Would you like to interact on my radio show, your show, or via Twitter? So you can see that was my invitation, nothing harsh, angry about it. I understand he didn't see it, no problem, but I, I did send it to his Twitter account. So he says, you never tried to engage me in dialogue. You wrote your article and posted to social media. Now that I've responded, you want honest, candid conversation. And well, that's why I always want honest, candid conversation. That's why I wrote the article. Uh, and I said, but why engage in a Twitter battle? I've invited you on my radio internet show with national exposure. I can join you on yours. Let's have an honest, candid conversation. Why not? I have zero to hide. And you obviously have no fear of speaking your mind. Um, and then when, again, he denied it. So I said, all right, here's a copy of that tweet. All right. So later he said, well, I should have tried to call his office. Or, well, fine. I'm just letting him know I'm writing an article and he's making public statements. So just like I make public statements on radio, you can post all you want. Your differences with me. Great. Go ahead. Well, let's let's keep going. It, it starts to get worse. He's upset with me for not reaching out other ways. I said, sir, I had no personal contact information for you. So I tweeted a response to your statement and waited. Then I tweeted you separately, inviting dialogue, then waited 24 hours to post my article. And even there, I was seeking to be fair, not inflammatory. Go back and check. All right. Um, and now the responses begin to, to come in. And as we're going back and forth, when he says that he sees things through the eyes of the oppressed and I see things through the eyes of the oppressor, I begin to share some of my own background, all right? And, and what are the responses I get? This is white privilege at its finest. I found out now that whatever I say is white-splaining. And in another context, it's mansplaining. In other words, I'm guilty because I'm white. I'm guilty because I'm a male. I mean, that's, that is what's happening here. All right, let's, let's keep going in the progression and look at some more of these tweets. So here's what happens next. He's, he's starting to unload. Liar. This is, what, this is what Bishop Swan is posting. Liar. You never reached out to a black bishop. You wrote an article, white-splaining my indictment of white evangelicals who embrace a white supremacist potus. Friends, this is, this is what we're up against. You offered gracious dialogue. No, you came for me and only responded when I checked you on your foolery. All right? So I'm a liar, guilty of foolery. Now, you'll see in all of my interaction, read my article, Every tweet, I'm still acting respectfully. I'm still saying, well, then let's dialogue. Let's talk. Let's interact. I'm trying to build a bridge. Let's talk. Okay? Here's his response to me. You're a, gas, you're a lying, gaslighting hypocrite. Playing to a crowd was your complete desire, which is why you wrote an article about me and posted on social media in the first place. If you wanted dialogue and to build bridges, you would have reached out for a conversation to begin with. Hey, my art, first, I did reach out. 
I, I reached out the only way that I knew because he's right there on social media. So I reached out to him via social media. That's number one. Number two, my article is also a way of building bridge. Read it. It's not accusatory, inflammatory. He says, sending a tweet with no confirmation that I've ever read it is not reaching out. Fact. You're a cowardly, this is, this is a bishop, okay? Cowardly, gaslighting, obtuse, racist, white evangelical who supports an unrepentant, racist, xenophobic, sexual predator because he defends your faith. And I suggest you falsely accuse me in your tweets tonight. Fact, I reached out to you before I wrote my article. You did not respond. Fact, my article was fair and factual. Fact, I've offered you dialogue. Again, you engage in name-calling and race-baiting, tragic and sad. And then I said in response, uh, sir, when you tweet like this with all the name-calling, all right, the accuser of the brethren stuff, you're partnering with the evil one, speaking ugly lies about a servant of the Lord, meaning me. Shame on you, and may the Lord grant you repentance. I will no longer try to engage you. You cannot be taken seriously. So this is when I just got a little bit stronger and said, if you're, if you're going to lie about me and slander me publicly, sir, how can I possibly engage you? All right, so let's let's just keep going. Um, here are some of Bishop Swan's views. This is from 2018. The Jews you see in Israel today are descendants from European Jews that settled there after World War II in France, Great Britain, and America got together and pushed Palestinians off the land to help create modern-day Israel. They are not the Jews of the Bible. Ah, so he also embraces that narrative that we are not directly connected to the Jews of the Bible. All right, and, and how about this? Just again, so we get some of the positions of the bishop. White women are happy with white supremacy. 53% voted for Trump, 63% voted for Roy Moore, 53% voted for Ron DeSantis, 59% voted for Ted Cruz, 76% voted for Brian Kemp. They supported bigotry, racism, misogyny, pedophilia, and sexual abuse, pure trash. So if you're a white woman and you voted for Senator Cruz, you support white supremacy and you're pure trash and you support pedophilia. By the way, those who voted for Roy Moore voted for him because they thought he was falsely accused. That's the issue. They thought he was being falsely accused. So here I'm explaining again, reiterating what happened. I reached out via Twitter. His tweet was vicious. My article interacted graciously. Over and over tonight, I asked him for dialogue, and he replied with name-calling and false accusations. It was after constant lies about me that I accused him of slander truth. So here are some of the responses I'm getting, some of the ones we can print. You are not the Christ. Flee. Go on the vineyard to work. Go dialogue and prayer. Get a holy Bible. There's your dialogue. We don't want to talk to your A-Z-Z-Z-Z. Go leave us alone, you Beelzebub. So now I'm, now I'm the devil for confronting racism. Now I'm the devil for seeking to build a bridge of dialogue. Now I'm the devil for writing a gracious and fair article saying that if I support Trump because he's helping to appoint conservative justices, pro-life constitutional justices to the courts and helping stand for religious liberty and stand with Israel and fight global terrorism and push back against radical LGBT extremism, that that brand makes me a white supremacist. I'm going to expose that lie in Jesus' name. Do I believe it's harder for a black man in America today than a white man? Yes. Do I believe there's still systemic racism in America? Yes. And I have a, a, a dear friend, a black brother, who sometimes on a daily basis sends me news headlines pointing to these very things and saying, hey, Mike, don't forget this. This is going on. At the same time, when I see racism, bigotry from any side, I will address it and I will expose it. 
And for doing that, here's another tweet that came my way. You're going straight to hell. There's nothing honest or Christian about you. Friends, this is what it's come to. This is what it's come to. You know, President Trump, his administration, just reversed something that the Obama administration passed. If you were an adoption agency getting federal funding, then you had to be willing to place kids in same-sex homes. Otherwise, you'd lose your funding. President Trump has reversed that and said, no, you can have your religious convictions and still get federal money. That's one reason I voted for him and not for Obama. Reverse the, col- reverse the colors and my stand would be 100% exactly the same. Can we get past this? Uh, look, if you talk to me and you're black, I'm not going to call it black splaining. And if you're female, I'm not going to call it female splaining. Let's just talk. All right, let's talk past, get past the racial accusations and the skin color. Let's have a heart-to-heart conversation. Show me my blind spots. I'll show you yours. And let's grow as followers of Jesus and help a messed up world. Who's in? Who's in with me? We'll be right back. Your calls are next. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. I am advocating standing together, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Jew, Gentile, in Jesus, standing together, and as one, we're... What's with the music coming on? Uh, working as one to heal racial divides, to, to heal the wounds of our country, to learn from each other, to address sin wherever it is. Let's talk about sin, okay? To address sin wherever it is, to repent of sin where it involves us personally, and to do the right thing. I'm asking for partners to continue to do that, as I've partnered with others, black, Hispanic, Asian, white, over the years. Let me say this last thing, then I want to go to the phones. 866-34-TRUTH. You think I'm wrong? You think my stances are wrong? You think I'm blind? Please call and enlighten us, all right? It's, it's one thing if you said, I think you're anti-gay, because we have done so much work to expose the wrong agenda of radical gay activism, and because we say you cannot follow Jesus and practice homosexuality at the same time. I can understand it. Or you'd say, I'm anti-Palestinian. Again, wrongly. But I'm anti-Palestinian because I've stood strongly with Israel. But, I mean, come on. Bottom line, you're going to call me racist? Please. And I say you. I mean, those who have. I don't care if you're white, black, green, yellow calling me racist. I'm not implying it's coming from any particular quarter. But this last thing. When I started on radio, it was during the primaries of the presidential elections uh, so go, going all the way back to the 2008 election. So I guess we're in 2007 at that time. And I, I didn't know how much I was going to get involved in political issues, how much I was just going to do Bible theology, those kinds of things, Israel issues. And I made a comment one day critical of Senator McCain. All right. I made a comment critical of Senator McCain, the Republican uh, likely candidate. Right. And then a few days later, I made a comment critical of, of Senator Obama. And then a woman called, happened to be a black woman. She said, why do you have to bring up race all the time? I said, what do you mean? She said, all you're doing is bashing Obama. I said, well, actually, first, that's not true. That I, 
I criticized Senator McCain one day, and then another day I criticized Senator Obama. This was because I had differences with some of their stances. I said, and plus, when Senator Ob- when Barack Obama was running for Senate against Alan Keyes, another black man, I, I preferred Alan Keyes. I, I, I liked Alan Keyes. He was also black. I said, so I don't get what you're saying. But suddenly I realized, okay, that just as I have blind spots and see things a certain way, which is why I've been on my face so much over decades and listening to daily criticism and input from my wife, Nancy, and having friends that see things differently that always challenge me so I can grow and be more Christ-like, the same way others have their biases and their wrong perceptions, and, and that I was going to try to straighten that out. So I thought, well, the only way I can do that is just gain people's trust over a period of years. And I remember with the George Zimmerman shooting of Trayvon Martin, we had a lot of discussion about it and, and learned a lot from each other. And, and I had black listeners come up to me at meetings. I was preaching at churches or doing meetings, and they said, I didn't know you were white. Something about my voice sounded black to them. Don't know how you'd make that determination, but I guess the positions I was taking, they had never seen me. They, and I thought, isn't that sweet? I mean, we just hugged and smiled. I said, isn't that sweet? You know, because it's, it's not about skin color. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. And where skin color is an issue to people, then we have to expose that. We have to address it. I'm, I'm here to address it with you. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Indiana. Hope, thanks for holding. And you're first up today on the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. It's nice to finally meet you on the phone. Thank you. <laughs> I watch your videos all the time on YouTube. Thank you. No problem. Um, so my question is, um, if you ever heard of this term called white fragility, it's a book by Robin D'Angelo. Um, it just talks about why white people are so afraid to talk about race. Um, I just wanted to get your thought on that. And um, also, how would you tell someone of color, a black a woman of myself, how to begin to engage with talking about races? Yeah, and, thank you. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, so uh, Hope, uh, num- number one, I've heard the term and it was thrown at me yesterday. So I'm like, getting bombarded by a ton of, of followers of, of Bishop Swan and by Bishop Swan himself, you know, with a lot of the name callings. And I'm there just trying to engage. I decided I'll spend a few hours on Twitter instead of my writing projects just to engage. So as I'm engaging, like a flood of people hating on me, I'm, I'm accused of white fragility. It's like if it was white fragility, I, I wouldn't be here engaging. But yes, the term is out there. And I'm sure in some cases there's truth to it. In other words, it's it's too threatening to think that there are wrong things in our history or that we built on certain wrong foundations or that there might be in some parts of America ideas that a black person was still less human than a white person. You know that. So sometimes you just anything that's going to expose a flaw or is going to be critical if you're insecure, then you're going to respond negatively when you're secure. It's like, oh, yeah, bring it on, please. Absolutely. Uh, so I've heard the term, but like anything else, it gets misused, terribly misused. And now it, now it becomes weaponized. Just like, again, anything I'm saying now is white-splaining. You know, I, for fun on Twitter earlier, I said, okay, I repent of being white. Now, what do I do? Tell me what to do. You know, I repent of being a male. What do I do now? Uh, obviously, I was being sarcastic. But what you have to do to have honest conversation is is – 
always, and I don't care which side of the equation you're coming from, is to ask someone how things look to them. In, in other words, I, I would ask someone, let's, let's say you want to have a dialogue with a white friend that just is oblivious to what it's like to be a black female in America, completely oblivious to it, right? And, and they have no clue that, or, or, or say to be a, a, a black 17-year-old male, all right, the, the likelihood of that kid being racially profiled all right, or, or being pulled over in a certain area. If he was in the wrong, driving through the wrong neighborhood, getting pulled over, it wouldn't happen to a white kid. And they're completely oblivious to this, right? So I, I always try to start with asking questions. Like if I'm sitting on a plane next to someone that's obviously gay or lesbian, I'll introduce myself, tell them what I believe, and say, hey, please tell me your story. And, and I, I want to hear their perspective. I want to see things through their eyes. And so first, that's helped me, even if it ends there. I've become more sensitive, all right? That's number one. Number two, maybe they'll ask for my perspective and I could share it with them. And, and I might ask a series of questions. So if I was engaging a white friend, Hope, if, if I were you, I would ask them, like, well, how do you feel about, like, you hear about white supremacy or do you think Trump's a racist? Or, like, try to engage them, find out where they're coming from. And then say, you know, ask, do you think there's, like, full racial equality do you think that, that maybe you're a white woman, that you might have it easier than me as a black woman? Ask them questions. And then if you can develop any type of friendship or relationship, they're going to ask you questions. And that's when you get to explain things. So, for example, as we talked through a lot of the race issues in the past, Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman, and, and the shooting of my namesake, Michael Brown, a few years ago, uh, a lot of callers called in, African-American callers, hey, Dr. Brown, I love you. I've listened to your show for years. I don't think you have a racist bone in your body, but you're not aware of what many of us have lived through and gone through and so on. Those calls helped enlighten me to something because I'd never been racially profiled, you know? So I learned from a lot of the callers to give me a broader perspective of things that are not as good as many of us may think in America. So does that sound practical, helpful, Hope? Do you, do you think that that could be workable? Yes, that, yes, that was really... Um really really good and i don't think that you're racist or bigot or anything like that and um and you're right like white fragility is running away from the issue not towards it and definitely run towards especially when there's an issue spiritually in our country so i really appreciate all the work you do just keep it up god's really proud of you he loves you oh hope you are you are very sweet and we're in this together we are and we need each other yeah. that's the bottom line. i mean that's the crazy thing we need each other believers right now are there's a concerted attack from the world coming against us and we need each other so hope you're very gracious right. thank you and may the lord use you thank god bless. you all right oh, thank you bye 866-34-TRUTH let's go to christopher in texas welcome to the line of fire hello dr brown hey hey i, I was calling to actually support what you're talking about uh, i I'm subscribed to you on YouTube. Thank you, um, sir. I'm what you call a, a black conservative. I've always followed the truth, and I I don't see how anyone could come up with the things that they came up when accusing you of those things. It's just confusing to me. But I do have a couple comments about... Hey, hey Christopher, let, let, me, let me ask you one, one thing. What have you been accused of as a black conservative? Have you been told you're not black enough, or you've betrayed your community? All of it. <laughs> The yeah, whole so, nine yards. Yeah, so if that can be said 
of a black man falsely, right? Then the same yes. people accusing you falsely, you can imagine what they're going to say about me, a 64-year-old exactly. black man. I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm actually, because it's just, I believe, you know, in my opinion, I just believe it. there's a, a, a huge brainwashing going on. And, and I believe that those people who are influenced by uh, the liberal left to, to the extreme uh, typically are fed with these things on a day-to-day basis through yeah. music, media, comedy. It's just everywhere. You're like oversaturated with this idea. So it's kind of not surprising to me, but at the same time, uh, we should be aware that those who have, who have control over these outlets, you know, as far as uh, who who determines what's what's being shown on TV and what's being played in, in, through the music, uh, you know, it's it's everywhere. So it's kind of hard to get away from this this idea that you're fighting against. So you're pretty much fighting against the hive mind mentality right now, and it's the popular mentality. And I'm afraid it's, it probably wouldn't get any better. But it's hard for one who's not really aware. And who's actually yeah. seeking the truth actively to actually see a neutral standpoint. Yeah, and like let me just let me just jump in for a second. We, we've got a break, and I, I want to come back to your questions on the other side of the break. But my own perspective, just on the political level, is that President Obama really pr- played into divisive race issues as part of his social agenda, and he was negative on that. And then President Trump has been a tremendously divisive figure that has further exacerbated the division. So to me, we've kind of had two straight administrations that have polarized us even more. But as believers, here's the deal. As believers, we have to get past that, listen to each other, learn from each other, work together. Okay, Christopher, will come right back to you. David, California, after that. Stay tuned. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Let me go right back to Christopher in Texas. Yes, sir, so you had a couple of questions. I'm all ears. Uh, I just want to highlight the magnitude of trouble uh, that that we are in, in, in uh, as a you know, as a black uh, person, because I, I would say this, and I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I just want to open up a can of worms when it comes to what we have to deal with as a uh, uh, black people. I, I believe that we're being sold ideas from so many different outlets that it's really hard if, unless you're exposed to the right people, it's hard to kind of, uh, if if you're not really engaged in what's going on typically overall, it's hard to really <laughs> see the truth. You understand what I mean? It's not the same for me, per se, because I, I, I literally stay into in this stuff on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. But, like, we're being targeted by the media. We're being sold ideas to by the media, by the comedians, by the music. By the culture, it, 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 even at my job, even at churches, like churches that's predominantly black, you have the leaders that's 
speaking against uh, what you're talking about. So, you know, I, I really do know that it's, a, uh, it's really hard for black people nowadays to really see the other side when you're being oversaturated with this this devilish mentality to you know, <clears throat> the to to see racism that's that's not really there. You understand what I mean? I, I, I don't understand. Yeah, no, no. I, I let me just say this. I I was just trying to find this online as we were talking. A book that I got by a black executive Tom Burrell. He was in in PR work. Uh, came out. Well, I got it in 2010 called Brainwashed, Challenging the Myth of Black Inferiority and just a, a brainwashing from another angle. I remember, sir, when I first started talking about issues and then got hit with charges of, you know, why are you being racist or talking about race all the time when I was just talking issues, a black caller named Rachel called in. She said that she was old enough to remember the speeches of Martin Luther King Jr., and that she said this is a spiritual battle that has to be fought spiritually, even in the churches. Yes. And she, so she tried an experiment. She, she went to, to friends of hers, black Christians, committed believers, right? And, and she mm-hmm. went through a list of social issues and asked where they stood on those. And they stood on the conservative side of all of those. But when she asked who they were voting for, they were voting for liberal candidates. So then she came right. with a, a letter— that, that we had actually produced a copy of, of Senator Obama encouraging LGBT activists. It was a, a Democrat club in San Francisco. She read the letter to them. And this was not a disputed document. She read the letter to her friends, and they were upset with it. We could never support anyone like that. And she said, that's Senator Obama. They said, no, it can't be. It's forged. So she said, it, it's right. going <laughs> to it take spiritual war. Now, look, every one of us, can have a stronghold we're unaware of, and that's where we help each other. But the fact is there are strongholds, and reasoning and friendly discussion and presenting facts, it doesn't work. That, that's what scares me. I was talking to Nancy today. I said it's, it's, it's frightening to me that you can present yeah. facts. Or, for example, Bishop Swan saying Donald Trump said Nazis are very fine people. Of course, it's a complete myth. A total myth. Never said and, that. And, and what had happened in, in Virginia with, with, the, sh- with the, the fatality there with alt-right and the protesters, he had said there were fine people on both sides. He was talking about those that were protesting against the statue of the Confederate statue being taken down. And, they were, and, and then mm-hmm. someone said something about alt-right. He goes, no, no, no. The white supremacists, the neo-Nazis, the same press conference. They are to be completely condemned. Completely wow. condemned. In, in the same press conference, then he had a subsequent press conference and said it again. But at that same press conference, he clarified, no, no, that's not who I was talking about. I was talking about these people. So to this day, it's misquoted. And when you present it right here, here, watch mm-hmm. this. Watch. It doesn't matter. And that's what frightens me. And by the way, I'm not pointing a finger with color because there, there are blinded whites and blinded blacks and blinded Jews and blinded exactly. Gentiles. and so we've got to get on our faces and say, God, open my eyes, open my I just want truth wherever it leads, however unsettling it may come. You've lived through it, sir. And, and you know, when you hear Walter yeah. Williams speak or Thomas Sowell speak or Candace Owens speak or others speak and they're articulating things and they just get written off because they're on the wrong side of a social issue. Since when did skin color become a social issue? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I, I, I thought the issues were the issues. So. 
Let's keep listening to each other, learning from each other, and really praying that truth will triumph because there's just a lot of confusion. And, and it's when you get on internet and start interacting, it gets scary. I'll, I'll give you one last example. I, I, I decided to try to engage. Even if someone had 20 Twitter followers, I, I was going to try to engage or ask a question or you know, try to get a response. So I, I saw a tweet came in this morning, and it was a woman seconding something that another man had said. And I saw her name, and she had a PhD. I thought, oh, let me engage her, PhD, fellow PhD. And I said, just one clarification in this previous tweet. Who did you mean by they? And she responds immediately, why didn't you ask the person who sent it? You're, you're asking me because I'm a woman. And I said, I, your tweet's the one I saw. And what in the world are you talking about, Christian woman? She goes, well, this is the way you treat black women. I thought, oh, my. And she believes this? I thought, oh, my God, this is, wow. this is scary. And, but again, I want to say this yes. plainly. I, it just so happens I've been interacting with a black bishop or trying to about these issues. But I am absolutely categorically recognizing there are problems on every side. There is blindness on every side. And there's blindness on the right and yeah. on the left and Republican and Democrat and black and white and everything in between. So that's where we got to humble ourselves. Hey, uh, Christopher, stand strong. Sometimes it can be lonely, but you're on the side of truth, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. God bless. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to David in California. Thank you for calling. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thanks for taking my call. Sure thing. Yeah, well, first off, I just wanted to thank you so much for addressing these issues and also for, you know, creating a space for listeners to interact with you. It's really amazing, and I appreciate it. Thank so, you. So I just have a question um, because I heard, I heard you earlier in today's broadcast say that you believe in systematic racism, and I'm just curious about how you understand that term because I've heard a lot yeah. of people say different things about systematic racism and I heard a man actually recently by the name of Larry Elder, who's a conservative black male, and yes. he was making a good argument, I mean, in my opinion, um, as to why the system, quote-unquote, in America is not actively working against black people to oppress them or keep them down. And uh, with that being said, I do believe that racism is an issue. And yeah. actually, my wife and I have these conversations all the time, and she's really amazing at being able to articulate um, social and cultural issues and really challenges challenges me on my bias opinions. So like, it's really been yeah, an incredible absolutely. growth process in our marriage. Um, but I'm just curious as to how you sure. understand that terminology. Yeah. So I, I think the term I used is systemic racism, which would be a similar concept systemic. to systematic. Yeah. So systemic racism. So something in the system itself. And as for Larry Elder, uh, he's great, great insight, uh, another excellent cultural commentator that, that uh, I learned from as, as well. But in, in short, I recognize that there is reverse racism today. I, I recognize that. In other words, I was just told of a situation with the number one qualified candidate in a university to get a job in the secular market, the number one top qualified candidate by far was passed over twice because he was a white male. He wasn't a person of color and he wasn't female. I, I, I know this firsthand. I, I heard it from the man's father and what it took for the professor to make calls to get him a job. And they, they knew they knew 100% why it happened. So that does exist. But I believe that for whatever reason, there is still 
again, someone can correct me on, on the data, but as far as I understand that in many situations in America today, if you put a, a rich white person in front of a jury versus a poor black person, that the rich white person is going to have a much better chance of getting a favorable verdict than the poor black person. And again, you know, uh, someone's going to have to look at statistics and sentence. I've researched it some. I I know Heather McDonald in her book on, on, on the war on police, the war on cops, goes through data and says that actually it's black cops who shoot black suspects more than white and otherwise it equals out and and i understand that data then i've seen others with other data uh but from what i can tell average prison sentences things like that how courts might view people who has a a leg up in the system there there do seem to be inequalities that remain that can disfavor black americans and so in, in certain settings, I believe that remains. And, and in other settings, uh, for example, I know that you're looking at crime rates and that police are not racially profiling, they're, they're crime profiling. In other words, that crime in our community tends to come from gangs who consist of Hispanics aged you know, 16 to 22 males. And so when we see them in a, you know, in a community where they don't, they don't live, we're targeting them not because of race or ethnicity, but sometimes things can go further than that. And that does seem to be the case to a certain extent. And that's what I mean by it. So I just want to see equality, right? That's what we want. We want to see equality, justice, righteousness. So let's pursue it. Where my perspective needs to be adjusted, yours, any of ours, let's adjust it. But let's agree, regardless of our skin color, regardless of ethnicity, As followers of Jesus, let's work together for truth, for justice. Let's work together for equality and for Jesus to be exalted and for the healing of the wounds in our nation.